Our scripture lesson comes from Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and the rest of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and to the visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others sneered and said, They are filled with new wine. They are all together, all together. We say this sometimes about a family reunion or a wedding. We are all together for the first time in so many years. Aunts, uncles, cousins, grandparents, the whole family. It's absolutely amazing that we got all together. Or maybe a class reunion. We're all together. We say all 17 from our graduating class in the small town where we grew up. How did we get all together? So amazing. In today's scripture lesson, we can't quite tell who is included in the all. Was it the 12 disciples, all 12 of them, including the new one named Matthias, who had recently been voted in to fill the term that Judas was no longer able to complete? Or perhaps it was all 20 of the crowd of followers of Jesus who were still gathering in those confusing weeks after Jesus died and rose again. Sometimes the church gathers in smaller groups. I remember as a kid when I was maybe 13 or 14 years old, I would walk up to the church to attend a Bible study with the youth minister, and sometimes we only had two or three kids that showed up. And I remember the all-night dance marathon that our youth group hosted for all the churches in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and we had over 100 kids. Some of my best memories of this congregation took place out at Christian Community Camp in Colorado, where maybe 75 of us gathered in Estes Park at the Y Camp, and a highlight of the week is always that hayride where all ages gathered together to sing silly songs and roast marshmallows and listen to the jokes of the Wranglers. And as a larger church, we gather. We have those goosebump moments like the Christmas Eve candlelight service where we raise our candles high singing together in unison at midnight silent night or the opening processional hymn on Easter when the brass is playing loudly and we are coming in the center aisle together singing Christ the Lord is risen today 
all together. Today, we read about the gathering that sparked all the millions of church gatherings that have happened over the last 2,000 plus years. It started out as just an ordinary gathering. Some might even call it boring. After all, they had just completed a business meeting to elect the 12th disciple. Some would call it somber. Their beloved leader, Jesus, had just weeks prior been crucified, and though many had experienced him as risen again, he has now left, ascended into heaven. It must have felt at that gathering like the room was heavy with despair and confusion, like, like a wake that just won't ever end. They were sitting around, praying and waiting during this annual Jewish festival called Pentecost. They were waiting together to see what God might do next. That's when it happened. Something astonishing, something extraordinary. The Spirit rushed in and filled the entire house where they were sitting, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. What happened was so crazy that folks out in the streets stopped to hear more. And what astonished them was that no matter what nation they had come from, they could hear the disciples speaking in their own native tongue. Folks from so many different nations had gathered for this festival. But on this day, those from Egypt heard the words in Egyptian. Arabs heard the message in their own tongue. Visitors from Rome heard in their language. Those from Cappadocia and Asia heard clearly the message. God brought them together in unity, and outsiders now felt like insiders. Where is that kind of unity in today's world, in today's church? For the last two weeks, we have watched in horror as the bombs have fallen in Israel and Palestine, killing hundreds, many children. We have watched in dismay as thousands have died daily in India from COVID while vaccines and treatments go unused here in our land. Some who are listening to this sermon today worry daily about police brutality and inequitable treatment of black and brown youth. And some are listening to this sermon today who are seriously worried that our police are not supported and respected adequately. Some are worried about disregard for immigration law at the borders. And some are worried about the unfair treatment of immigrant children and parents at our borders. We are a purple church. Some of us vote red, some of us vote blue. So what is it that calls us together? What is it that holds us together? Peter Marty, the editor and publisher of the Christian Century Magazine, wrote a few weeks back about the post-pandemic church. He raised the question, 
Who will we be as a church going forward? And he suggests that going forward, the spiritual capital connected with congregational life will become increasingly valuable. He notes what many of us have already experienced, that these days we cocoon much more in our homes. We buy our products at home, online, rather than going out to a store. We even see doctors on telehealth. We work remotely rather than going into an office or a factory. We attend lectures and concerts via stream. We even go to grad school, get an entire advanced degree online. He says that the places where you and I can gather together without paying some kind of fee are getting placed on the endangered species list. For the first time in my lifetime, the church may become one of those rare places where all of us can gather together regardless of who we are or how much we earn or what our politics are or what sins or shame we carry with us. Amy Frickholm describes herself as a non-joiner. And some of us can relate to that. We maybe think of ourselves as non-joiners. She wrote an essay a few years back about growing up in the church. Her dad was even a minister, and when she was 12, she was baptized into the holy waters, but she said, I refused to receive the right hand of Christian fellowship and actually join the church. For the next couple of decades, she occasionally drifted in and out of the church, but she said she never quite stayed long enough for anyone to learn her name. And then she moved to Leadville, Colorado. And while in Leadville, she started attending St. George's Episcopal Church. She helped out with the food kitchen. She helped out with the finances, but she did not join. She didn't think of herself as a joiner, not of a congregation, not of a denomination. And while at St. George's, she learned that this church had a history of a church fight. What had happened is that St. George's needed a new roof. Now, some in the congregation thought they should put on a metal roof because that works really well for the snow that comes in those high mountain towns. But some in the congregation did not want to compromise the historic character of their beautiful building. The fight became bitter. No new roof was put on. And the key players in the fight all stormed out of the church. And the roof began to leak. Amy would sit in church, and she would watch the water stains seeping down the wall as the snow accumulated on the roof. And one night, Amy had a dream. She dreamed that the entire east wall of the sanctuary collapsed. The dream haunted her. She realized that for years the church had sheltered her and that if she didn't claim it, it just might melt away with the snow. So Amy signed up for the confirmation class. She decided to join. And when the day came, when the members of the confirmation class were going to join, they were all asked to bring with them a scripture that spoke to them of their own faith experience. 
Amy was reluctant. She didn't know what text to pick. She had earned a PhD and she was the most educated member of the confirmation class, but she was so reluctant, so ill at ease and feeling inadequate to claim a scripture as her story. The first member of the class spoke up. His name was Floyd. Floyd had a long white beard and he always wore overalls and tucked his hands in the pockets. Floyd was a Vietnam vet who had suffered a mental breakdown. He often came to church to share his recent learnings from Rush Limbaugh's radio commentary. And on this day, when they sat down to share their scriptures, Floyd spoke up first. I picked Genesis 1, the story of creation. Before I came to this church, I was formless and void. Darkness was all around me. And then God moved over my waters, and there was light. Everyone shared. And when it came to Amy's turn, she realized everything she had prepared to say was inadequate. And everything that had already been said was so beautiful and true. And so what Amy said was, I am grateful to be a part of you all together. They were all together. And the spirit blew through them like a mighty wind, not a collection of individuals, a community. And this is what happened in the gathering of those disciples in the second chapter of the book of Acts. They realized that there was a force larger than any of their individual opinions that united them into a holy vessel for God's love and grace. They were empowered to be a community, not because they shared uniformity of thought, but because this is what God's Spirit does when people gather together. But this feeling of unity it is not just something that we get to savor and celebrate. The unity that God gives sends the community forth to give voice to God's presence and power in the world. At that first gathering of the disciples, God's Spirit empowered them to become something new, the church. And it was heard outside the doors. And then they went out the doors and they preached the good news, and suddenly the church added 3,000 new members. Is the church more than any other old gathering? Are we more than a book club? More than the Rotary Club? More than the PTA? We gather for more than our fellowship and friendship and good advice on how to live the spiritual life. We gather because it is only through our gathering that the body of Christ was finally raised to new life and set free to live in the world. When you and I gather together, God's Spirit blows through us 
and we discover this, this power, this holy energy that we cannot find in our aloneness. We gather together because in our gathering, God's spiritual energy and holy breath and powerful good news comes to life in us, speaks to the world through us. It is enough to make us afraid. And it is enough to keep us gathering. During World War II, a small French village of about 5,000 residents went to heroic measures to shelter Jewish people fleeing extermination by the Nazis. A Protestant pastor and his wife named Andre and Magda led the entire village in providing hospitality for those in need. Andre and Magda believed so strongly in the hospitality of Christ that they risk breaking the law in order to provide safe haven for their Jewish neighbors and other political dissidents. Andre and Magda's story is told in the book, Lest Innocent Blood Be Shed. And there is this one scene in which Andre, the pastor, is just about to be arrested in his own home. The police are suspicious of his activity. They come and they knock on the door and Andre's wife, Magda, knows that they are there to arrest her husband. But she invites the police into her home to sit down at the dinner table and to eat with them. On the one hand, they risk their own lives to, sh to care for the Jews who are despised by the government. On, on the other hand, they treat the police as those who are human beings created by God. They practice welcome and hospitality to all who gather in their home because that is how they understand their mission as the church. That is how they experience God's Holy Spirit rising up within the gathered community of the church. And at the end of Andre's weekly sermons, he most often concludes the sermon by saying this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Go practice it. The wind of God's Holy Spirit breathes into us so that we might become the one body of Christ on earth. Go practice it.